everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to bring the word today. I have been so blessed uh, the last couple weeks. You know, many times when we have a special speaker, a guest speaker, um, it's because I'm out of town for various reasons, and I've been super blessed to actually be here and have heard the great words that were brought to us uh, the last couple weeks. First of all, we kicked off this series with Dr. Tony Chase bringing a mighty word, talking about we are the body. We are the body of Christ. We all have these different talents and abilities and callings, and we're all different parts of the body of Christ that God is joining together and also navigating through some of the tensions of what that looks like. Apart from Jesus, apart from the work of Christ, we are kind of a hot mess, right? We just look like a Frankenstein monster looking kind of thing. All of our dysfunction, all of our issues, but by the grace of God, but by the blood of the lamb and the body broken for us, Jesus through himself is making us one, is making us new, is restoring us, is teaching us how to walk in relationship. And then last week we were really blessed to have Pastor Greg Mitchell and his beautiful wife, Debbie, come and share with us. Thank you. Let's give, give God praise for them. And, and really digging into this concept of we are family, but the heart of it, which is learning how to give and receive love. What a powerful word that he shared last week. We're so grateful for that word. And, and I just, I'm just, again, just so thankful. For those of you who don't know, Pastor Greg and his wife, Debbie, they're part of our Every Nation family of churches up in Vancouver. And God just truly blessed us to have them here and visit with us. This morning, I have the joy of sharing and, and really reminding us, rather, of the call that we have as being not just a body, not just a family, but a city and a preview of what God is going to do in the fulfillment of his redemptive plan. Um, as we, as, as I share this morning, as we unpack the scripture, uh, I really want to encourage you guys, as I do every Sunday, but this is really something, it's not just about information to share with you. Do you hear me this morning? Do you hear me this morning? You can open your mouth and respond. I'm just encouraging you in that way. It's not just an information download. If it's just an information download, it's just going to be just a very big disappointment. Not because it's bad content. The content is good. I worked on it. But because what God wants you to receive is not just information. It's an impartation and an activation of your calling. Like, why are you here? God wants you to be fully alive in him and fully alive in his purposes in the earth. Y'all hear me this morning? All right. So I, I want to frame it this way. I, I, how many of you, anybody in here like movies? 
Anybody like a movie? And you like good movie? I mean, and I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to get somebody mad. Uh, I was going to say, I'm not talking about like all the Hallmark, Hallmark movies that are about to flood. I'm just joking. I know some people, you have a soul tied to Hallmark. It is strong. It began early when you got snuck out late with your grandmother watching all those movies. You know, it, it's, it's amazing. The flood of like, I mean, so many days of Christmas. I didn't even know there were so many days of Christmas until Hallmark was like, you know what? Every day is Christmas, everybody. Be blessed. That's, that's just what they did for us. But, you know, I love one of the things is like there's peak seasons of movies, right? The blockbuster movies, they tend to come around the holiday time because they know everybody, family's going to be coming together, going to go out see a movie together. Frozen 2 just came out. Frozen 2 just came out. All right, bless it. <laughs> But you got the summertime, you got the holiday time. But one of the things, I know the peak, Jason, you know all about the peak season. We just need to extend our hand to pray for Jason. My man is a manager at a movie theater who bless his family, bless his wife, his sleep. Uh, but, but one of the things I love is a good trailer, right? A good trailer. Now, one of the things I would say that should be a prerequisite to a good trailer is a good movie. I'll just put that out there. I get really disappointed when I see the trailer and all the good parts about the movie were in the trailer. And then you go see the movie, you're like, man, I should just watch the trailer a bunch more times. But a good trailer, you know, has certain qualities to it. A good trailer will probably give you a, a glimpse or, of establishing the characters, the heroes. It will give you a glimpse of a sense of the conflict or the need. And Nowadays, especially because people start releasing trailers like two to three to four years before the movie comes out, there will be like multiple trailers. So you have like the first trailer, and then you have the second trailer, and usually if it's a good second trailer, it reveals like an X factor that you didn't know about, and you saw the first one, you're like, oh, I already saw it. They're like, oh, have you seen the new one? Right? An example of this, one of my favorite examples of this in recent uh, memory is, you know, within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Any MCU fans? A couple of them, maybe. All right. See you at Comic-Con. Um, you know, when Captain America Civil War was announced, this was like a huge story arc within the Marvel Cinematic within the Marvel Universe. And so the first trailer come out and you get these classic images of Iron Man and Captain America clashing and, and all of this stuff and everybody's excited about it. But one of, for, the, for the true believers, for the deep Marvel fans, you knew that in the comic book it wasn't just about these two. There was a key piece that was missing in the MCU and it was Spider-Man. But Spider-Man was under the bondage of Sony and had not yet been released contractually to the MCU. And so I remember one day after the first trailer had already come out, I get a text from my man Brian Grant, the faithful, my faithful friend Brian Grant, who just sent me a clip and said, you're not going to believe this. And it was the trailer that revealed Spider-Man, the X Factor. And people just lost their minds and the Internet went crazy. But we get excited if we're really excited, part of it is because we're seeing a glimpse of a full motion picture that will come later and will be greater than the trailer that we're seeing, right? We are going to see here in a moment as we look at our chief text, kind of a trailer or a preview that God gives the Apostle John as he is 
right, taking it in and writing it down, not just to receive revelation for himself, but for us to have a, a teaser of, some, of the kingdom in a city that is later and greater and at the same time with us now. You see, we as a people of God have a unique position as we stand between the echoes of it is finished and the finality of it is done to serve in this blessed and broken calling as an intersection to eternity now and a foreshadowing of a city yet to come. And so this morning, I want to remind us that the city of God is not just something that we are waiting for in the distance, but the seed of it is with us today and is called to be activated. Would you turn with me to our main text today, Revelation chapter 21. If you're here, we've got the scripture up on the screen. If you just want to look real cool with your Bible, it's in the back of the book. Real easy. Last book. I want to start in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new, fir- and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. Man, I can't wait to hear him say that. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I want to skip over to verse 22. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to continue in chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river was the tree of life, 
with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. There will be no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you that you give us a sneak peek of your fulfilled promise. Lord, would you awaken us this morning? Would you draw us into you, into your purposes, into our calling to be with you, to be with one another, and to steward the place in which you've planted us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Caleb. Here in this vision that Apostle John is having in Revelation 21, it's actually the whole book of Revelation is this, this preview and this glimpse, this prophetic insight of the finality or the end time, the end game, so to speak, of the work of redemption. And the pinnacle of this, the, the final scene, we see this incredible vision of a city. The descent of this extraordinary city of heaven and earth coming together marks the goal and the fulfillment of Christ's redemptive work. And this vision that we have is just so rich with imagery that we have seen foreshadowed throughout Scripture. Particularly one of the things that are most evident is you see these pictures and this imagery reminiscent of the Garden of Eden especially when we th think about the tree of life. Important uh, to this is this sense that even as we've had a foreshadowing, nothing comes close to the majesty of this new Jerusalem. And one of the things that's so powerful is that in this new Jerusalem, the very curse and the consequence that came from Adam and Eve's disobedience and exile has been completely reversed. Finally, God and humanity are fully reconciled, are enjoying each other's presence, living and abiding together in the city of God. Is that anything that anybody's excited about? People are fully restored to God. Fully restored, not just in relationship to him, but to one another and the place of God. We see this, if it's reminiscent, it's because we see in Genesis, in 1 and 2, that God is creating this space and place for relationship. We see in the very first book of the Bible that God is establishing, he is creating earth as a inhabitation, as a location for relationship. Relationship with him, first and foremost. The heavenly father, the creator, our lover, our designer the one who fashioned us, relationship with one another. He said it is not good for man to be alone. He wasn't just talking about a soulmate. He's talking about brothers and sisters and family that he's building. 
you know, we can really quickly kind of hear certain mantras and, you know, it's just me and Jesus. That's not biblical. It's not you were never just called to be in a relationship with just you and Jesus. Y'all hear me this morning? Yes, come on. Just smile for a second. Everybody just smile for a second. We just need to take a frown break. Some of y'all got that resting face. Strong. He's just like, I just, let's just be free. Be free. This is a fun church. We like to smile. We got life. We got joy in this place. Amen? We got joy in the place. Okay, I just want to make sure. Just sometimes you just got to take a pause, make sure, check the joy monitor. But God didn't want you to just be alone. He wanted us to walk in community, in relationship with him, in relationship with one another. That's why I love being in family. I love being in spiritual family. That's why we want to build multi-ethnically, multi-generationally. Why? It's because you need people from all works of life following Jesus together and learning together. I need people who have done things that I've never done so I can grow and be something I've never been. I want to grow. I want to be stretched. You need those people who help make you great because they're amazing amazing, and they're blessed, and they're generous, and then you need those people who make you great because they help you to walk out patience and long-suffering and learn how to love people who get on your last nerve. Somebody said, don't, don't woo too loud. They're sitting right next to you. You just need to save that woo for later. <laughs> no, I love it. But it wasn't just about relationship with God. It wasn't just about relationship with one another. There was also a relationship with the land which he placed them. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God placed our first parents, Adam and Eve, on the earth in a garden to work it, to fill it, to cultivate it. From the very beginning of creation, God intended that a people made in his image would inhabit and build with him an earthly city. I love it. There's a, there's a theologian and professor uh, by the name of T. Desmond Alexander. He says it this way. When creating them, God instilled within people an innate desire to be city builders. In each and every one of us, the chromosomes of the kingdom were placed. The kingdom building DNA was injected into our very being. And we know this even more so that because in spite of the exile, in spite of the disobedience, this seed would still thrive. We see uh, Cain himself in a glimpse in Genesis 4 that Cain, one of the first things he begins to do when he, uh, after he kills his brother is he goes to build a city. He goes to construct a city that he renames after his son Enoch. Later in Genesis 11, we have an account of the building of Babel, the Tower of Babel, the city of Babel. It has this ominous feel as the people made for God who have rejected God begin to join together to create a city that defines their existence. A city unto their own glory, standing in opposition to God. The city which really represents the antithesis of the earthly metropolis that God desired to create. This city called Babel, this is the Hebrew name for Babylon. Throughout this talk, you might hear me refer to the sense of Babylon as when we are building a city unto ourselves, where we are the architect and the builder. I, I just, you have to know that the gifts and the talents and the skills that God imbued you with 
they come with that repentance. What does that mean is that God gave you talent and breath and life even if you won't serve them. That is just wild to me. I'm just saying, if I got to pick whether or not to give life to my enemies, things would be different. And it would be jacked up. Because when we're in control, things get jacked up. Y'all hear me? I'm just saying, that is a secure God who says, I know you're going to curse me. I know you're going to rally people to curse me. But you know what? I still love you. I gave you breath. I gave you life. I gave you talent. (sighs) My God. Throughout the Old Testament, we see, though, we begin to see these shadows and types of God's ultimate plan. Because even when man betrayed and disobeyed God and, tempor- and, and really abdicated their calling as city builders and, and to build this kingdom with God, God had a plan for redemption. And so much of the Old Testament serves as One, God establishes a temporary means of atonement of sin. We see that sin enters the earth. God makes coverings. We see the first uh, demonstration of uh, the shedding of blood for the payment of sin or the covering of sin. When in uh, chapter 3, God makes coverings from animals to cover Adam and Eve. And you begin to see in the Old Testament the establishment of a temple worship system that gives temporary atonement. What does that mean? What is atonement? The wages of sin is death. There is a price for sin. Y'all hear me this morning. And the price was the shedding of blood, was death. And so there was a temple system that if you were going to worship back in the day, it would probably have a lot fewer loops on electronics pads and a lot more sounds of bellowing animals and blood. Right, you wouldn't want to just go up and dap the priest up that day, right? Especially if he was on sacrifice duty. Because they would literally sacrifice animals and shed the blood of animals for the atonement of sin. It was a temporary atonement giving view and foreshadowing of an eternal promise and solution. Y'all hear me this morning. And so it was pointing, pointing pointing to the coming of Jesus. We see that there was the final city that John talks about in Revelation. There was the first city that we see in Genesis. But something happened when Jesus Christ came on the scene. You see, up until the work of Christ... Once sin had entered the world, a people who were meant to be with God in a place called good were separated from God. And even in the worship, in the, whether it be in the tent or the tabernacle or the temple, the presence of God that was made to be an unfettered fellowship and connection with man was always separate. Even if it was placed in the middle of the temple, Even when it was nearby, there was still a separation. Why? Because God is holy. And we are not. And so even though you could be kind of near him, we were still separated from him because of sin. And because we were separated from him and only relegated to approximation, 
our true calling was temporarily put on hold. Now we see Jesus does something. Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, came and lived the life, the perfect life that we should have lived. He was the spotless, unblemished lamb. He himself took upon the full weight of sin, death, and the grave. He takes upon our sin and our iniquity. He goes and is hung, hung high on the cross and is buried and crushes the head of sin and death. Three days later, rising victoriously. Now, you have to see what's happening here. Because he knew what was up. It wasn't just about, hey, watch me do this. If you know anything about Jesus, when he came on the scene and he's interacting with people, he didn't just say, watch me. What did he say? Follow me. Y'all hear me? Follow me. Say, follow me. Say it again. Follow me. Jesus was demonstrating something. He comes back. He raises victoriously from the grave. And then when he ascends to the Father, he says, all right, I'm going to give you guys a mission, but you got to wait because <laughs> power's coming. And he sends his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and reside on the inside of us. I, <laughs> I don't know if you guys are catching this. You see, the tent and the tabernacle worship model in the Old Testament, it was a temporary reminder of a soon-coming Savior who would once and for all pay the sin debt and restore humanity to our calling and purpose. However, in the same way, the children of God, those who are purchased by the blood of the Lamb, those who have turned from sin to follow the Savior, those who confess with their mouths and believes in their hearts that Jesus was Lord, those who are walking in the fullness and being filled with the Spirit of God, those who are walking in new power and new life and new freedom and redeemed purpose and renewed calling, these people who with unveiled face we're beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into his image. These people who were no longer going to the temple where the, where the presence of God dwelled, but actually now have become the temple where the presence of God dwelled, were not separated from the Spirit of God, but were carriers of the Spirit of God. It's these people, the people of God in our worship practices, in our imperfections, in our trusting God and trusting the Heavenly Father when it hurts like hell, in us learning how to trust Him in our imperfections. It's not us that point just to the Savior. We as a people of God are a foreshadowing, are a trailer, are a sneak peek to the city of God that's coming. Do you see it? The Old Testament temple practices, the old sacrifices were pointing to a Savior that was coming. That was their role and responsibility at the time. But our calling was not just to be reconnected with God. Our destiny and purpose was not just to be back in relationship with him. Can I tell you that our purpose wasn't even just to be friends with each other. From the very beginning, he said, hey, y'all, 
we're going to build something amazing. The world's going to be blessed because of you. Even when Adam and Eve just jacked it up, he came back to some more jacked up folks. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations through you. I haven't given up on my plan. Oh, man, I can tell you right now, I just love what Judas said when he was leading worship today. I'm thankful that he's not, you know, my confidence and my faith is not that God fulfills my promises, but that he's true to his promises. And when God has made his mind up about something, he's going to fulfill it. And there's nothing that can stand between that. And do you know that when he created the earth and he created you, he said, I'm going to use you. I'm not giving up on you. God, I don't want nothing to do with you. That's okay. I'll wait. (laughs) I love you. I love you. We're going to work through that. I'm going to use you. You're going to make this world better. We're going to do this together. We are not just Christians hiding out in a city until the great city returns. We are the city of God of eternity right now. What am I saying is the seed of heaven, if the spirit of the living God is on the inside of you, the seed of heaven is on earth right now in you. That we become the thin place where the eternal and the finite meet. Where we as the temple of the Holy Spirit are not just, again, hiding out and trying to stay away from all the bad stuff until God can come and rescue us. You know, I, I grew up in the church in the 90s, in the, in, in the early, or actually in the 80s, and, and I remember, like, we would have spiritual warfare week, and if anybody loved talking about Revelation and the end times and the horses and all of the beasts and everything, I mean, man, it was amazing. And I tell you, as a kid, like, being an eight, nine-year-old, I actually loved it. It was fun. It was an adventure. But I used to be confused because, like, we were so safe. You couldn't watch Care Bears. You couldn't watch Scooby-Doo. You couldn't watch anything that had any sense of magic because it wasn't just magic. It was witchcraft, all right? There was a demon in every cartoon, you know, and I would get so confused because I'm like, man, we can't watch Care Bears. But then I watch some of these, like, we go to these you know, revival services, and, like, demons are being cast out. I'm like, I'm sorry, y'all. Hey, horror movies don't have nothing on the stuff I saw as a kid. I'm like, wow, yowza. Like, I remember being, like, eight, getting to drink at a water fountain. We had, like, a special revival, and this lady was getting just free of a demon. I was like, that is amazing. (laughs) Don't come near me, but that is amazing. Uh, But... (laughs) <laughs> but I digress. The, 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 the point that I'm saying here is that we, we, people of God, we right now, right now have the opportunity and the calling and the mandate to bring heaven to earth. Not just cry, God, oh, bring heaven to earth. He says, I did. My spirit's on the inside of you. Now walk like it. So what does it mean? How, how can we walk as these citizens of heaven. If you are a son and daughter of the living God, you are a citizen of heaven. So how do we reestablish this? How do we walk this out? Well, I believe that the way that we walk as citizens of heaven is reestablishing the core relationships that were originally established in Genesis. What did I talk about 
biblical four, we see that the relationship of God, relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with the land and resources. I want to break it down in this way. Lordship, discipleship, stewardship. When it comes to our relationship with God and the issue of lordship, we have got to get beyond our garden variety issues. What do I mean by that? I think a lot of us get caught up with dealing with issues that should have been dealt with in the garden. What was the core issue of sin in the Garden of Eden? We know it wasn't an issue of provision because God had given them everything they could ever need. We know that the core issue in the garden was not abandonment or rejection or shame because all they had ever known was the perfect fellowship and love and affection of the Father, walking with him in the garden in the cool of the day, experiencing a level of the presence and the presentness of God that we can only imagine. The core issue in the garden was an issue of authority. Lordship. Who's the boss? Who gets to determine good and evil? Who is the builder and the architect of the city? Who decides what is or isn't a life? Who decides what I do with my body? Who decides what is a man, what is a woman, and what is a marriage? Who decides what God probably meant to say in his infallible word of God, but wasn't culturally woke enough to understand? Let me see. Is there anybody I haven't offended yet? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who decides what I do with my money? That should cover everybody. You know, I had the opportunity uh, on Monday, just a great opportunity to debrief with Pastor Greg Mitchell. And uh, he, he asked a question and he posed a statement that just really hit me. He said, how did the Pharisees miss Jesus? He said, really, how, how is it that you had all the Torah, you had all the words and the, and the writings of the prophets that were prophesying and foreshadowing and, and pointing to the coming of the Messiah. How was it that he shows up and you miss him and then you kill him? This is why, this wasn't just Joe Schmo back, back, back in, on the fields that's uneducated. These are the priests the ones who had memorized the Torah, the ones who had memorized and recited and were living this pious life, how did they miss him? Pastor Greg said it this way. He said, I, I believe it was because they were looking for a king, but he came as a servant. However, now we miss him because we're looking for a servant, and he's returning as a king. We as a people get so offended and put off by the kingship of Jesus. Dang. Who does he think he is? Has he read my blog? Does he follow my Insta? He wouldn't possibly ask me to walk, talk, and live in a way that would offend anyone or hinder my social status. That's okay. You got healing for the toes, healing for the toes. It cuts me. You know, it, it's one of the things that, fr it's, it's, it makes 
building in the body of Christ complicated in 2019 because before you can really build and get much traction, you got to double check and make sure that everyone that says they're saved is actually surrendered to the right architect and builder. Just because people have the kingdom bumper sticker doesn't mean they don't have Babylonian plates. You know, we, we, we can have the image of sanctification and yet still hold on to the old ways and the old life. It's kind of like this. Like, I don't know how many of you have moved around a lot. Uh, you know, we, we've been in different stops through ministry. We lived in Nashville for a season. We lived in Tallahassee for a season, North Carolina, Jacksonville, and now Indianapolis. But I'm from Indy. Now, even though I'm from Indy, I didn't get a cell phone until I moved to Nashville. So I, didn't have a, I never had a 317 cell phone number. And so I was anticipating one day, one day maybe, maybe I will have that. But I had my Tallahassee 850 number for a long time because I'm like, you know what, when I came to a city, I'm like, I'm not trying to go through all the hassle of changing my number, going through all that process, telling everybody. And so I'd go into a, a new city, but I had the old number. I'd go into a new city, but I had an old ID, identification. So many times, culturally, we get so familiar of where we've been that even when we come into the kingdom, we've got a new citizenship, but an old number. We have a new citizenship, but we haven't fully changed our identity. We have to settle and allow the issue of authority and lordship to be settled in our lives because it is not until then, it is not until the issue of lordship is settled and established and that you acknowledge and recognize that he is Lord that you can have any impact in building the kingdom of God. Y'all hear me this morning. We got to know this. I, I need us to, to know this. And I'm not saying this. It's not to put people on blast and, and expose this, that, and the other. But the reality is it's not a new reality. They were experiencing it in the, in the early church. Not everyone that has church on their marquee, not everyone who speaks at a Christian conference is walking under the lordship of Jesus. And you have to know that following Jesus is a different blueprint than the world. You can't just build the Tower of Babel and slap a fish on the front. I think we, uh, I got to get into it later. Moving on. First thing is relationship with, with God, lordship. The second thing is this. It's not just our relationship with him. It's actually our relationship in his purpose and his plan. We've got to be sold out to lordship, but we've got to be sold out to his plan of redemption. And his plan of redemption is laid out in Matthew 28, 19. It's very simply this, discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. He says in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, do, and obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that he gives this encouragement at the end of the verse when he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Because, quite frankly, some folk won't. Some people, when they realize that you are for God, 
even in the face of the reality that you can't be for them unless you are for God, won't be for you. Being a disciple is not, it, it begins with being one, but also making one and making other disciples that make disciples. Again, it begins with lordship. Are we following him? I've got to be a, a disciplined follower of Jesus. Discipleship is about following Jesus. We make disciples all the time, but it's just not disciples of Jesus. How many of you went to a movie after somebody told you that a movie was good and you should see it? How many of you in here went to a restaurant because you're like, man, I love a great place to eat. And you pulled up Yelp and you go, well, let me see the reviews. And based on what someone left, a comment someone left or someone that experienced them themselves that said, man, this is great. You should check it out. You went. You were a disciple. You were a follower of what they said was good. They experienced something that was valuable to them. They imparted it. You listened. You followed. You went. You experienced it. Man, we can be better disciples of restaurants than Jesus often. We've got crazy evangelists to Joella's hot chicken. But man, can we make disciples for Jesus? And, and it's about saying, it's not just, again, it's not just about you and me. It's not just about you and me, Josh. You know this, brother. It's about making disciples that make disciples. Paul tells Timothy, the things that you've seen me do, entrust these to others who will be faithful to do the same. It's about building this family, not being afraid to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, that statement feels really awkward sometimes because a lot of times there's something about it. When you're actually making a disciple, it, it ups the ante of you learning how to follow Jesus because you're like, man, I really got to learn how to do this because somebody else is following me. I don't want them to be jacked up. That's kind of what, one of the things about parenting, man, is like there's things that if your kids aren't in the car, that you might say if somebody cuts you off. That when they're in the car, you'd be like, oh, I don't want Ella to say that. Right? Ella said something the other day when we were playing shoots and ladders and she beat Johnny bad. And she looked at him, she goes, sucker. I was like, Lord, did she hear me say that sometimes? I'm making disciples. Hallelujah. Making disciples isn't about saying, hey, follow me as I do everything perfect. That's not what we're saying. It's not follow me because I've got all the answers. It's follow me as I follow the perfect one, Jesus. And, and, and as we do, we will be perfected daily and transformed more into his image. Part of that process of discipleship is daily coming before him and coming to his word. Because remember, he's the architect, and he's the builder, and he's the boss, and he's the one that says who we are, and he's the one who says what we're here for. And so if I want to know what is my purpose and why did you wire me this way, I look into his blueprint, and I get to discover why he made me the way he made me. And now I'm defined and shaped not even by religious familiarity. Some of you, you are mad at God and you're mad at the church. And we say, well, the church did this, the church did that. And really what it came down to is maybe a church that you went to just jacked it up. 
Can I just say that? That's why I, I pastor with fear and trembling. I said, God, I want to jack it up. Help me. Help me to see your word. Sometimes we as Christians, I hate to admit it, we have misrepresented the truth of God. We've misrepresented the heart of God. And the weight is so great because when we do that, that might be the last time anybody ever sees Jesus or anybody sees a, de a live demonstration of the kingdom of God. But just because you had a bad experience at one restaurant, you didn't stop eating. So why is it we had a bad experience with one person or one church, and they were like, man, all y'all are crazy. <laughs> we want to come and see, God, what do you say? What, what have you put on the inside of me? Because there's this other step. It's not just lordship. It's not just discipleship. It's stewardship. It's stewardship. Yes, relationship with God. Yes, relationship with one another. But there's a relationship to the place and the space that God's planted you. When we talk about stewardship, we just got finished doing a series called First Fruits. And we talked about giving our first fruits. A part of our stewardship is giving of our first and best of our time, talent, and treasure. And yes, that's a huge part of it. It's bringing all that we have, all that we are, and saying, God, would you use it for your purposes? God, how would you have me steward what you've given me? But I think one of the things that we often miss and one of the things that we can neglect is that stewardship is not just about the talents that God has placed in us, but also the town that he's placed us in to activate them. Again, remember, you have a seed of heaven, a seed of eternity has been placed on the inside of you if you've received Jesus and the Spirit of God. And anyone that knows anything about seeds is that seeds were not given just to hold on to. Seeds were given to sow. And just as you've been given a seed, you've been given soil. You've been given a place. You say, what is my place? Well, quite frankly, right now, today, it's Indianapolis, Indiana. Like, just like literally. Here, you're here right now. We, we don't have to make it so mystical. Like, well, I don't, I don't feel like God's called me to be here forever. That's fine. Steward today. Where has he called you to today? I'm amazed at how many times I've talked to people who have come to City of Lights, and they've come to City of Lights because God relocated them because of a job or because of school. And we can think, you know what, I just came there because of school. I just came there because of a job. But a people who are citizens of heaven and understand that they're citizens of heaven, understand that when I go to a place, I'm not just going because of a job. I'm not just going because of school. I'm not just going because I met somebody on Tinder and they were like, oh, I love you and I love Jesus. And then I got here and they were like, oh, well, I just joked. But I'm here anyway. No, you're here because you're on assignment. You're here because God has given you a stewardship to make the places that you're in better and to bring the city of God to your vicinity. 
What are some of the places that God places in? One is a family. Practically, what's the family that God's placed you in? All of us got jacked up families. Anybody who doesn't think they got a jacked up family, they're disillusioned, they're jacked up. They're probably the one. And they're like, I don't have any problems. Just talk to their other family members. They're like, I'm just praying for that one. All of us. You look in the... You look throughout the body of Christ, just like Dr. Tony was saying. The only perfect one was God. You got a bunch of crazy kids wilding out throughout Scripture today. But what a beautiful thing that the Spirit of God in you is God's blessing to bring heaven to earth in your family. How does it change the way that you love each other? How does it change the way? Again, it's not follow me as I do everything perfectly. Do you know that you get to give somebody a preview of heaven as you in brokenness, as you processing through the process of forgiveness, choose to love and walk in reconciliation and have hard conversations with a family member, even though you know that they might not love you or they might not reciprocate it. But when you love them, even above that, it's a demonstration and a glimpse of the forgiveness of Jesus. Oh, man. It's not just in our family. It's what about your vocation or your university? What, what if, what if, rather than spending the years that you have at Butler or Marion or IUPUI, rather than spending it either running away from God or only running to him when you have a hangover or you think you're pregnant, what if you allowed the calling and the purpose of the citizenship of heaven to come alive in you in such a way that not when you get up, grow up or get older, you're going to follow him, but today when you wake up, the kingdom is coming to Butler. That when you step on campus, a piece of heaven just came down. What if, man, this is what gets me excited. I think about how many times, you know, one of the things I was blessed with in growing up in the church and growing up in a church that dared to believe God to do some crazy things. There's a thing called Saturday morning intercessory prayer. I remember being seven years old. We lived in the parsonage next to the church. And early in the morning, you know, we would be kind of like getting up because, you know, our Christian cartoons were coming on. Superbook, Gospel Bill, Joy Junction, all the Christian things on Channel 42. And I would hear the swinging door of the screen door open as my dad was getting ready to walk across the street go to intercessory prayer. Sometimes I'd walk over and I'd follow my dad. We had these chairs. They're padded chairs, metal padded. Get on my knees and my arms would kind of be in the same place. Sometimes I accidentally fell asleep. I'd wake up with the pattern of the pad on my arm. But I remember hearing Aunt Betty and Aunt Fanny Miss Deborah, Mr. Gary, hearing my dad 
cry out to God for the kingdom of heaven to be realized in the city of Indianapolis. I remember hearing them shout and literally tears streaming down their face, believing that God would redeem and restore Hawville, that God would do a supernatural work in the Near East Side, believing that God would restore and take people who were addicted to everything from drugs to money to, to self, that they would be set free and redeemed. I remember hearing those prayers and those cries. Lord, let kingdom come to earth from the east, the west, the north, the south, that your kingdom be realized. And I join with those prayers. And I long for the day, y'all telling you, when I read Revelation, I get excited. Because I can't wait. I can't wait to see my Savior. I can't wait to see that city. I can't wait to see the saints that have gone long before me and paved the way so that I can walk with you. I can't wait to be reunited with those that I love. I can't wait to walk in the fullness of his presence and to hear him say, it is done. But even as I say, I can't wait. I have to be reminded, and I want us to get it today, that there is a part of our God-given heritage, our inheritance as people, as sons and daughters of the living God, that we don't have to wait for. That part of the answer to the prayers of those that I would hear crying out to God in intercessory prayer. It's not about the sweet by and by. It's not about the city of gold and the streets of gold that are going to come. It's about you and it's about me being fully alive in his purpose and his calling and saying, we are here right now. I'm not waiting for a politician to get elected so the city can be changed. I'm going to be a citizen of heaven today and change. We can get so up in arms thinking just like the zealots did back in Jesus' day that change is going to come to the city by a political power or some champion who's going to come and wipe everything away. Election season's going to come and election season's going to go. And some people are going to come and say, hey, I can do things that only Jesus can do, but vote for me. And some of us will be foolish enough to line up and put our hope in someone who is building Babel rather than recognizing that the seed of eternity has been placed inside of you. Can we walk in it, city? Can we walk in it, church? Some of the practical ways, I mean, again, we didn't plan this church just to meet on Sundays. God is wanting to do a work in us in our community. Beginning in the month of December, one of the practical things we're going to do is we're going to do a special offering over the course of December. We're going to sow. We're going to take up this offering. Part of this offering is going to go to helping us to sow into those that are in need and financial need within our own community, within our benevolence offering. Some of what we're going 
to present together as, as the money as we sow together is going to go towards us being able to more effectively partner with the Y and also serve the immediate community that surrounds us. Some of that is also a, a, a big part of that is to help us begin to step in a part of our specific calling as City of Lights to utilize the arts to cultivate and bring light to the community, but also to train up and send out worship leaders into all the earth. That's part of our calling. That's part of our specific calling. Because God has given us a stewardship. Yes, we represent and we give a foreshadowing of what's to come. But God wants to do something in us, the citizens of heaven, here and now. You hear me this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, great architect and builder. Lord, I'm asking that you would take the words that I've spoken today, the seeds that have been sown, and Lord, that you would plant them into the soil of our hearts. God, I pray that you would remove every rock and hard place of doubt that would try to crush that seed. I know even as I've been preaching today, there's some of you in here who have been so, it's like the soil of your heart has been so beaten up, so broken and rock-filled that it's like shame and condemnation have hit you so hard that the, even the thought of what God would do through you feels like a distant memory. There might have even been a time where you thought, man, I mean, I would have believed that a few years back, but man, there's been too much that's happened in the last few years. I just, God, God doesn't want to use me anymore. That's a lie. He is the restorer. He makes all things new. He's looking for someone who will surrender themselves to him. Today is a great day to come into the citizenship of heaven. Today is a great day to come back to the Father. If you have maybe grown up in the church, you had an encounter with him, but you've left, you went away, you drifted, come home. Come home. Come home. Come alive in him. Come alive in your purpose. God didn't just give you those skills to bring glory to yourself. He gave you those passions, those desires, those talents to use to give a glimpse of eternity. Lord, would you help us? Help us to present our lives to you. Help us to come alive in you. Help us not just to long for and await a city, but to be the city that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give him praise? Can we give him praise? Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and